With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Last summer, as the United States and the world finally turned more attention to systemic racism and police brutality, John Boyega made headlines by grabbing a megaphone and lending his voice to a movement. I think first and, first and foremost, I'm, I'm black. That means a lot to me when I, when I say that. You know, I, I still have family, you know, I still have people, friends, and, and even distant acquaintance that have, you know, special love for that are still vulnerable to these situations, regardless of where I come from. So f- first off, that's the thing is that your your own experience, you know, and and, this, and the second thing really is is just the, the sorrow that it gives you to, to see black bodies continuously treated that way. I have a, a closer relation to, to that kind of issue um, because that could that looks like my uncle down there, that looks like my father. And so the kind of uproar, even though it was global, you know, people from all different races and creeds came up and stood out. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talked to small act star John Boyega about working with Steve McQueen and telling the real life story of Leroy Logan, a trailblazing London police officer in the 1980s. Later on, we chat with comedian Z-Way on the eve of her new Showtime sketch and talk series. But first, on the Variety Awards Circuit Roundtable, we kick off Emmy season with a look at what's in store for the next several months. It's all next as we flip the switch and go TV on Variety's Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Why, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Awards Circuit. This is a little different. Um... It's TV time. We're taking over. Finally, the cool kids are in charge. Emmy season, the true season, the season everyone's been expecting for for a long time. And it's finally officially happening. It never really ends. But anyway, I am Michael Schneider, you know, and uh, here with me, Danielle Terciano. Hello, Danielle. Hi, I'm excited to finally get on this podcast. It's been film season for what feels like forever. And so it's I'm excited. It's finally Emmy season. Yeah, it was inevitable. Emmy season was going to be here. We we're going to have to start talking. So I'm, I'm glad we're finally underway. And of course, joining us as well, she gets no rest. It never, <laughs> it never ends never for ends. Jazz Tank. Eh? Jazz. Is Hello. It- Jazz, is it hard to sort of shift your your brain, especially during these this past month where it was sort of Oscar and Emmy season at the same time? Do you know, I was doing that slow transition. I was like, I've seen all the films. I'd be happy to like not write about them. And every time I was like, this is my last piece on Oscars. I was like, hey, can you do one more story? We've got one more. And I'm like, I'm trying to transition over into TV. So they kept pulling me back, but... We're yeah. done. It's it, it is hard when you're like I've got to like watch ten episodes of a show, and you know you're still writing predictions and stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
No, and and you know, I I like to say that TV award season, of course, never really ends since we've got Globes, we got Guilds during the winter months. But I, film season, I mean, so Clayton Davis has already put up his Oscar predictions for twenty twenty two. Like, not even a week. You're not even going to take a week off. You're you're already predicting things that we haven't seen yet. We're not going to see for a long time. I, I love in his song predictions category, he doesn't even know what the songs are. He's just like predicted song from, you know, fill in the movie here. Um, God bless him. <laughs> House of Gucci or whatever, right? Like, right. that's yeah. what they do. That's what you do. Like, the next day, it's like, who gets their predictions out first? And it's a complete crapshoot. But he did pick Nomadland last That's year. That's true. He did. He was pretty early on that train. Yeah. Yeah. That was smart move. So now he's got to match that for next year. Well, no pressure. In the meantime, on the TV side, I mean, we've been going into this Emmy season sort of saying, well, is, is it already predetermined? Is it Ted Lasso, The Crown, and The Queen's Gambit? I mean, is, is, are we just riding that wave all the way to Emmys, Danielle? What do you think? It's so funny because, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago, had we started this discussion, we would have said that. Um, but now, you know, being in May, finally in May, there are all these late entries. Last minute, we're going to get in right before the voting closes, or rather the eligibility closes, and capture your attention. So, I mean, I don't think that. I mean, I think Ted Lasso is still something everyone's going to be talking about and is absolutely going to get nominated. You know, it's having its second season drop in July while it's while people are voting on the first season is just that perfect timing. And we saw Succession benefit from that, you know, in the last round. But there's there's some new players. I mean, Hacks from HBO Max with Gene Smart. It's coming in really, really strong. So I think this could be a big year for her and for that show. And then, you know, you look at limited series category is just so stacked. Like Queen's Gambit is a huge player but then you've got small acts which is still in the running and then you've got the underground railroad which is just dropping and those i think you can't ignore those and i think you know there's a number of other shows from a lot of players mayor of east town from hbo is getting a lot of traction right now i I, i'm reluctant to be like yes let me predict (laughs) it right now like i don't know how clayton does it because i'm like i don't not that I don't want to be wrong per se, but I don't want to overlook anything because it's still so early in the game. Yeah, yeah, that's true. J- Jazz, has there been anything recently that uh, started to uh, maybe change your mind or, or make you think this is going to be a tighter race in some of these categories than we thought? I think I agree with Daniel. Like the limited series category, just, I mean, I change every day with these shows and danielle i don't know how you watch so much tv like where you find the time but i don't have to watch the films that you watch see that's the difference like as mike was talking to you earlier about you transitioning i don't have that i just do tv and so if you look at it that way it's like well you know when i I, i'll be honest and i probably shouldn't admit this on an awards podcast but i haven't seen any of the oscar nominated movies because i haven't had time because it's not part of my job. But I've seen all of the Emmy shows, even the ones that haven't dropped yet. So I, I don't know. 
Yeah, well, what's impressive about Danielle is that oh, no. she also, on top of this, reads 100 books a year at, at, at minimum. I try. Hold at, on. I try. <laughs> let's, not, let's not put me on blast. I well, try. No, that, this, is, this is a shout out to you. you. You're already up to 50 and it's still That's April. That's true. So, it, it, wait, it's no, May. it's May. It is it's May. May. <laughs> it is yeah, May. it's true. I, I did hit, I hit 51 over the weekend. Um, I was very excited about that. The fiftieth book was not very good, so I won't I won't name it. But the fifty first book I really enjoyed. So you know, here we are. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's I don't know, Jazz. I feel like you have you have a a taller order because you're doing both. Well, and and Jazz, you also have to really keep an eye on all of those uh, you know artisans categories too. So it's 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 sort of uh, to to keep track of production design and the costuming and, and all of the, yes. the things that make these shows and films tick is is a talent as well so basically i'm just saying cheers to both of you <laughs> <laughs> as we start this long long journey um well daniel you mentioned a couple of the these latecomers that are indeed making a lot of noise um Mayor of Easttown, uh, that's sort of become a, a fun, addictive ride. Uh, and, and to me, it kind of, it reminds me of Broadchurch to some oh, degree wow. okay. in sort of these, the interesting intertwined lives of this, the, the people in this small town and, and the twists, the twists and turns. Uh, and it's been a fun, fun watch so far. And yeah, that, that sort of came out of nowhere, but uh, that is a stacked category. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about this year with Mayor of Easttown, like if this was a normal non-pandemic year, I'd be sitting here being like, where is my live in-person FYC event where you fly in Wawa? Like you should do <laughs> that for us. And now I'm like, well, will they be hurt by the fact that they can't do that? They can't have Kate Winslet in person with some people. I don't know. It's not, it's not the HFPA, so they won't be as hurt, but, but I will say like, I've started to miss some of those live events that like now, you know, we're second year in, in this remote or at least socially distant campaign season. And, uh, I'm starting to miss at least the food. I'll just say that. Well, I, I did go to the uh, Top Chef drive-in event. I was uh, not invited to that. Week. So, okay. so. <laughs> you have to tell us about that one. Yeah, you're gonna you have to like. I, I imagine they were just it was like old school diner where they bring the food on skates to your car. No. Uh, it wasn't that elaborate, but what they did do is so so it was uh, coincidentally the the episode of of Top Chef Portland was an episode where the contestants all made uh, drive-in food. So the the judges who were all past contestants, uh, as well as uh, Tom and Gail and Padma, were in their cars, and uh, the two teams had to come up with gourmet drive-in food, and so the winning recipes actually were recreated by the caterers at this drive-in event at the Rose Bowl. So food was pretty good, I got to say. I mean, it's, you know, at least it sort of, you know, lived up to, to top chef expectations. So so that was kind of fun. At least it got us out of the house and, you know, you're still stuck in your car. It's a little awkward to be eating that kind of food in your car while watching. It's not the perfect sort of event. At least it got, you know, us out of the house as opposed to watching yet another Zoom uh presentation but yeah it's it's a it's another odd awkward year for campaigning and i think you're right we talked about this uh, uh when we were talking about the oscar season actually and how maybe if there had been in-person events and campaigning the oscar results might have been a little different 
probably the same with Emmys. Uh, if there'd been in-person events, uh, maybe we'd be talking about a different race. Uh, of course, the race is still young, but it, I, I think it's going to help the incumbents. It's going to help the shows that we've been talking about because it's going to be hard for these late entries to, to really make a splash when they're not having in-person events. So I think a lot of people have probably already made up their minds and there's not going to be an in-person experience to change those minds. So who knows? Uh, you know, as we keep saying, the, the, the season's still young. Very true. You never know. Now that people are starting to get vaccinated, they might do. Like if you're vaccinated, you can come to the television academy and we've got an in-person screen who knows what they're gonna do maybe for phase two um you know last year they didn't allow any events for phase two so perhaps perhaps this time or maybe they're not going to want to deal with the liabilities of of doing something like that but it's also interesting that uh you know they 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 started banning all the mailers right before the pandemic. And ironically, (laughs) now's the time where these mailers would actually make a huge difference. Um, There's so much craziness that's gone on the the past two years. And that's just another example. I mean, it is funny that you say the mailers because literally like 10 minutes before we were logged on to do this, Amazon rang my bell with their FYC juice mailer. This year they did a, you know, every, every title that is, in contention gets its own flavor juice, or I think some of them might be coffees. Um, last year they did, you know, we're going to, we're going to paint your show logos onto cookies. So a little more health conscious, you know, 400 days into the pandemic, I think they realized we've all gained a little weight and they're trying to help us get back into like <laughs> any, any gown slash suit shape. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's those. It's so sad. But like, those are the things that I think still remind a lot of people about the show, like the yeah. physical thing with the name on it, right? Like, it's so easy for people to have an inbox with a thousand unread emails with links to things that they're never going to get to see. And so, you know, if something shows up at your door that's memorable, I feel like that—that's what everyone's hoping will make the difference. Anyway, you know, at least they'll get social media posts out of it, if if not actual votes. Yeah. Well, it's it's like on the the Amazon juice thing. Like I turned it over and it was like the boys, and you're like, oh yeah, I remember. Like that was such a great show. And then the next one was the Underground Railroad, and it was such a great trigger of their slate. And yeah. I think I think they did a thing where they were like trying to theme the recipes slightly. Like the boys one is very bright red, like blood. Yeah. Which I was like, that cannot yes. be a coincidence. I mean, I hope. I don't know. I don't, it's, yeah, but it was interesting because then, you know, Netflix sent, um, a a nice, it was just like a, an old school looked like a DVD sleeve that had like a QR code on it to say, go to our FYC site. Um, and so it was, you know, not as maybe elaborate as they've, they've done in the past, but it was still like, here's a physical thing to remind you that we're here, which I found really interesting. Well, even with like the Halston screening yesterday, wasn't elaborate at all it was a simple like here's a there's a delivery coming and it was just a card for studio 54 very simple they could have gone crazy true yeah it's halston i kind of thought they would have yeah maybe maybe that's the second one that comes at premiere time who knows 
Yeah, well, they they have to, and the the Halston one wasn't uh, uh, F, uh, Emmy. No, uh, it was just a, a regular. But they do have to be very careful with these. The the rules now, nothing can be over thirty dollars in in terms of what you're gifting folks. You can't mail anything. So, you know, we're as members of the press, we're not bound by the TV Academy rules, which is why we're still getting you know True. massive cutouts <laughs> of Young Rock of Young Dwayne Johnson <laughs> to our homes, which <laughs> nobody can see because this is a podcast. And not Right. A video, but everybody does need to know that Mike has it posed over his shoulder yeah. in the background of his office. Yeah, yeah. We'll the rock, screenshot it. The, the Rock is now a member of my family. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so we're getting these, but true, for that's voters, true. voters, you know, but they're, we're they're, getting out the word to the voters. Yeah, I guess that that's the uh, that's our responsibility. <laughs> Here's what we're getting. Here's what you're not getting. And no, we don't have a selfie with Kate Winslet either. So we're all good. Yeah. You know, that's a good, that raises a good point though, Jazz. Like if, you know, we get things that no one else gets. Sometimes we at Variety get things that other members of the press don't get. We put them on social, like the studios and networks, they want the social posts because it, you know, you hashtag the show, it promotes it. But it has to create FOMO for some of these other people. And I almost wonder if sometimes there's, backlash if it's like well i didn't get that so i'm not going to check out your show or i'm not going to vote on it or watch it or write about it or whatever depending on who the person saying that is yeah yeah no it's a good question and and how much you know should they be spending or do they want to spend on these kind of things and you know a lot of them are just you know wasteful and and (laughs) You know, they they end up in the dumps, and or 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 they send them to me, and I don't throw anything away. And I now was just I have gonna to say, <laughs> there's no dump at Mike's house. No. Mike has a museum at his I house. Have bins and bins of stuff. Though the rock is standing in front of just a smattering of some of the stuff I've collected over the years. It's a museum. It's not a hoarding space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, so, what are both of you sort of still looking forward to uh, as as uh, you know? This is now the month where the final uh, you know contenders are are being launched. Uh, what have you liked that you've seen, or are you excited for other people to see that are that's premiering over the next couple of weeks, Danielle? I mean, I already touched on Hacks, which um, premieres on May thirteenth, and that you know, I I love comedy, and I know that when we did our award circuit video for Golden Globe season, you know, we had said something along the lines of like, this is a great time for comedy because that award season was still kind of filtering some of the twenty twenty shows in that this Emmy season is not. And so in all honesty, a few weeks ago, I looked at the Emmy race for comedy and was not excited about it. But then Hacks came along and I was like, you know what? I'm excited about it again. Like, yes, Ted Lasso is great, but we're not going to only be talking about Ted Lasso. So that's definitely one um, that I was just surprised by, quite frankly. You know, I didn't. It's Jean Smart plays a, a comedian who kind of had her heyday years ago and has been relegated to a certain shtick and she hires this young writer who they butt heads. They don't see eye to eye on a lot of, of what is funny or, or what women in comedy maybe should be. Um, but they kind of start to rub off on each other. And it's, it's a really interesting look at the stand-up comedy space. Um, so that's one that I am personally very excited about. And this is already airing, but, you know, I, I'm always fascinated to see what Handmaid's Tale does every season. And this season they're, they're doing some things that they – kind of promised they would do a while ago or at least teased that they would do a while ago. And so I'm, I'm curious to see how that continues to play out. 
um, and you know where that goes. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a it's an interesting year. It's there's there's still a few things that kind of snuck in under the wire that are ta- that are surprises to me, like the bite on Spectrum. You know, Robert and Michelle King's new show that's uh, sort of pandemic-y, but like it goes a step further. Like it's set in COVID times, but the the bite there's actually like a zombie virus happening in addition to COVID. So that's, I think, going to be a really interesting show. I mean, it's a Spectrum show, so I don't exactly know how hard they're pushing it or how many people will see it before voting. But Right. People will watch, will watch it two years later when it's sold to another possibly. platform and right. it's not eligible. But I don't know. I mean, it's Robert and Michelle King. And I will say that like we've been so starved for their content because Good Fight's been gone for so long. Evil has been gone for so long that I, I think if they're smart and if they – put some money behind it, put some marketing muscle behind it. Um, you know, get that word out there that they, they're, they've got a new show and it's, it's just as twisted as some of their other shows. Brain dead. Anybody? Am I the only one that still talks about brain dead? Maybe, maybe it's fine. I remember brain dead, but I don't talk about it. <laughs> well, you know, I talk about a lot of we're things fine. that have died long years ago. So Danielle's still talking about the nanny, by the way, which I am still, the nanny is newly on HBO max. So, and the nanny, excuse me, was an Emmy winner back in the day. So it's a good show. And if you, you know, if you don't have to watch 500 new shows, like I do, you might want to check out an old classic called the nanny yeah i'm shocked by the amount of nanny conversation that i've been privy to over the past month like <laughs> there's a lot of nanny chat that could be a spinoff podcast <laughs> jazz how about you what do you uh sort of i'm excited for halston just because i love him as a designer i'm excited to see you and mcgregor as halston and just curious to see what you know ryan murphy has in store because i think that it's only five episodes so they're covering pretty much, you know, his entire career in five episodes. So it'll be I'm curious to see how that works out. But we mentioned earlier the Underground Railroad with Nick Brattel, who is Barry Jenkins' go-to composer. Barry Jenkins is coming to TV. It's a 10-part series. I've seen it. I'm, you know, excited for people to... I think, you know, the reviews dropped. The review embargo has already dropped and it's out there. And really the rest of Pose, I mean, mm. you know, just the origin stories that they're dealing with this season and that finale, Billy Porter is phenomenal. Pose is a good example of like a show that snuck in for me. I, I didn't know it would be back this soon, so I didn't think it was going to be Emmy eligible this year. And then, you know, it was kind of that, for me anyway, a surprise, you know, yes, final season, but we're, we're making it, we're getting there all the episodes will be eligible and ready and such an emotional journey. Just A, the show itself ending because of, of what it's meant with the void that it's filled on television, but also just what the characters go through in this final season as we've already started to see. Like just, I don't know, just tear-jerking television for me, which is um, cathartic in a way, I guess. And, and now also with the uh, premiere party in New York, uh, uh, sort of sounding like it was quite an adventure. People are talking about it even more. So exactly, you know, it's yeah, definitely I think a- it's been cathartic for them as well. You know, making it, coming through it, and you know, having some things to say about this business. Yeah. Well, um, 
I was excited to see Hacks, and you know, again, it is the the year of Gene Smart, uh, and and for someone to be coming off, you know, so many recent great roles like Watchmen, uh, to now be on you know two buzzy shows on as we speak, uh, pretty pretty incredible. So so I'm kind of excited for her and excited for both of those shows. Um, personally, I was very excited also to see the return of Mythic Quest. Um, season two, which was another one of those just sort of feel good, um, but still really interesting comedies with, uh, you know, fascinating characters, a lot of comedy, uh, a lot of heart that is not expected. Um, you know, so I kind of put that show in the same category as, say, the, the Ted Lasso's and, and some of the other comedies that we've been seeing lately. So so that was nice to see. But yeah, so again, these last minute additions, uh, shaping, shaping, shaking up these, uh, these categories a little bit, you know, and, and it's kind of making me sad. Some of the shows I thought were sure things for limited series will be kind of pushed out now because of some of these new entries, but we're seeing, uh, interesting resurgence in attention for small acts, which I think is great. And coincidentally, John Boyega is our lead off guest this week on the show um had a great conversation with him and then later we'll be danielle you'll be talking to z-way who also is a sensation and a new entry in the race yeah so some fresh faces on the first tv installment of the award circuit podcast yay thanks gang see you next week It's Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Amazon Prime Video's Small Axe is a five-film anthology from director Steve McQueen, set from the late 1960s to the mid-1980s inside London's West Indian community. The films each tell a different story about the power of truth and resistance in the midst of racism and discrimination. And yes, the stories feel just as timely today. In the film Red, White, and Blue, McQueen tells the true story of Leroy Logan, a young forensic scientist who decides he wants to create change from within by becoming a police officer. But in doing so, he faces both the disapproval of his father, played by Steve Toussaint, the fact that he's still seen as a traitor by his community, and the blatant racism he still finds inside the Metropolitan Police Force. At least this way, Dad, I can change things. Get out of my house! Out there, it is us and them. That's how it works. I'm out there with no backup. Sometimes I think the earth needs to be scorched. You planted something good will come of it. John Boyega stars as Leroy Logan, who went on to a celebrated career inside the force, where he became one of London's top officers before retiring a few years ago. I spoke to Boyega via Zoom as he was down in New Orleans about to start work on a new project. I began by asking Boyega to share how he's faring as we slowly emerge from the pandemic and what the mood was like down in the Big Easy. I just came out of quarantine, so, you know, I'm just, you know, finding my feet getting accustomed with the environment. I've never been here before, so it's, it's just, I'm just getting to know everything, really. You've never been to New Orleans? Yeah, never been, no. Oh, no. wow. Yeah, so it's yeah. my first time. Well, hopefully you'll get to, to experience some of it. Uh, no, I'm hearing about Essence Fest and all these carnivals that I've been, you know, that obviously with the pandemic, now I've come at the, the wrong time, but <laughs> hopefully I can see some stuff, man. 
Yeah, yeah. The music, the food. Ah, that's uh, that'll be awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I mean, you just you killed it in small acts. That, that was such an incredible performance and and project for you. So so I wanted to kind of get in on that. But first, sort of just see how you are doing. Uh, you know, this has been quite a year, obviously for for everyone. But but how has this year been for you? And and uh, sort of as as we're hopefully kind of getting out of this pandemic, um, you know, how, how are you doing? Yeah, I've just been navigating. I've uh, been away from home for a bit. I had some long time away from family and then we reconnected. So this whole journey with the pandemic um, uh, is it actually put life on hold and, and changed dynamics and changed a lot of things. But I honestly, you know, really, really can't complain at all. You know, actually fine through it, you know, just been trying to adapt and change like everybody else, you know. No, absolutely. And uh, it sounds like things are slowly kind of getting back to normal for you, for you as well. Yeah. 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 No, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about small accent and when Steve McQueen first sort of approached you for, for this, uh, how did he kind of describe what this was going to be? It's so, it's such a unique project for, for him, uh, these, these individual films and, and, and really ambitious what, what he wanted to do here. Uh, how did he kind of, uh, uh, pitch it to you? Well, he told me that he was, uh, doing a number of films, um, and they will all be released at the same time. He was still kind of working on what the format would be specifically. I think there was still conversations being cooked up. Um, but he gave me an idea of, of this kind of new way of, of releasing the series of these stories, um, and the characters that he wanted to portray and the people, the real life people, real life situations that were real pivotal part of, you know, Black British history. And he wanted to really put it out there in this very unique um, package of films. And I was just obviously just like, okay, this dude is crazy genius, which is always a good thing in our industry, especially creatives. Um, But at the same time, I just really believed in the goal um, and the goal was to shine a light on stories that haven't been told before, that are kind of missing from the, from the history books of, of film, that, that like, like um, what Steve said in our last kind of uh, interview, they're kind of missing from the history of film. Um, and this insight was truly important um, and an insight that I feel like would be referenced to in years to come just because of its unique uh, perspective. And I was just honestly excited by, the, by his expression about his experience growing up, the types of um, um, stories, for, you know, from the other films as well, um, and how that kind of like led him to that to that choice to want to be a part of it. And then I just kind of like you know signed on to his creative vision, and we we were a go. Yeah, no, yeah. And, and and it is stories that you know obviously, especially us in the U.S. haven't seen before. Uh, in, in particular, so so the, the black experience in the U.K., but also the West Indian immigrant experience. Yes. Yeah. A, a yeah. lot of that, that just hadn't been seen. And, and, you know, here in the United States, we're so insular. We're so focused on America and, and, and the stories of, of the U.S. that we often sort of miss the, the you know, what's going on overseas, uh, and especially over the past year. Um, when, when did you shoot this, by the way? We shot this 2000... Well, we done we done some reshoots in in twenty early twenty twenty, didn't we? And we shot this maybe like end of two thousand nineteen, you know, because I remember it was getting cold at the time. So maybe end of two thousand nineteen, and then reshoots twenty twenty. Yeah, I mean the 
Obviously, and I'm sure you get the, 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 the question a lot, I mean, the, the, the timing of, of this coming out, A, during the pandemic, but also B, during the, uh, you know, the, the national conversation that we're having in the U.S. right now about police brutality, about, uh, uh, you know, white supremacy and the impact on that, uh, you know, not just here in the U.S., but globally as well. Um, you know, it, it's it's always a discussion that needs to be had, but for it to be happening right when small acts came out, uh, yeah. sort of interesting timing as well. Yeah. Um, you were so powerful last year in Hyde Park. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that moment and and sort of what made you decide to to go out there and and say your piece and and grab that megaphone and and say something. Um, I think first of First and foremost, I'm I'm black, and and that means that means a lot to me when I when I say that. I feel like um, sometimes when when people get in a certain position, the the curiosity of why somebody would would speak up and speak out is they're so curious about it. And I'm kind of like, you know, I, I still have family, you know, I still have people, friends, and and even distant acquaintance I have, you know, special love for that are still vulnerable to these situations, regardless of you know where I come from. So first off, that's the thing is that your, your own, you know, experience, you know, and, and, and the second thing really is, is just the, the sorrow that it gives you to, to see black bodies continuously treated that way. I have a, a closer relation to, to that kind of issue um, because that could, that looks like my uncle down there. That looks like my father. And so the kind of uproar, even though it was global, you know, people from all different races and creeds came up and stood out. Um, the, the the cry from from the black perspective is specific to that you know specific to that issue, and so uh, it moves you regardless of your situation. And I, I wasn't even there; I, I wasn't supposed to speak. We had actually been protesting about three three to four hours prior to the speech, um, but I guess being there more and more, relating to people that have been through this scenario situation, um, and then finally waiting for belly majinga's family to to come up and because her sister um was was going to come and give her her speech and her thanks um i was given the 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 megaphone to kind of speak and that was just what was naturally on my mind you know yeah and i remember you you said at the time of course that you were concerned that you know it, actually you weren't concerned it didn't really matter how this yeah. impacted your career the important thing was to to say this and and I remember thinking at the time actually it's it's so important to hear John Boyega say this, and and there's a generation of of kids who know who you are, and to see John Boyega go up and, and grab a megaphone and say this was even more powerful for this young generation to to hear that coming coming out of here. What what sort of reaction did you get from from people in the the days after? Yeah, you know a lot a lot, a lot of people you know a lot of people you know speak about it and speak on this, but you know for me my mind is. You know, those are those are those are words. If if you know action and 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 you know consistency isn't isn't added, um, and so it's all good and well being the inspiration behind words, but but also it, it adds more important an emphasis on the reality of of working towards those changes and being a part of it, aligning my goals, which some of which have nothing to do with no movement or nothing. Some of which I just want to be a great actor, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But aligning that with 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 things that you know uplift uplifts other people is, is, give, is giving birth to a real true passion in me, you know, especially after um, the protest. So, you know, that, that in itself is the, is the biggest gift, you know, and the biggest kind of re- reflection and reaction that I get, you know, when, when I meet people out and about. Yeah. Well, it, it's uh, when, when I think about small acts and 
the, 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 even the title small acts, it means so many different things, right? It's like small acts. These are small stories. So these are acts of stories, but then also that whole idea of like these, these, these acts of courage and resistance Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. you know, are, are each small in their own little ways, but yes. they, they, they need to add up and they start to add up. And it can be really disheartening to see the headlines, to see what's going on even right now at this moment, these mm-hmm. past few weeks here in the United States. Uh, it can be really disheartening. But then yes. you've got to remember, it's like those, those these, these acts along the way that everyone's doing to sort of hopefully push us to mm-hmm. a better place. Yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. And and it's, you know, it's also be you know, stopping ourselves from being mere spectators of 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 these of these movements and, and, and situations and and really trying to align our own goals. Cause you know, it's not only celebrities and people with platforms that are important in this. It's actually, when you think about it, they're there to just attract the masses because of their access. But but you are the masses, you know, it's it's so important that everybody gets that message, you know. Well, the, the the cool thing about your story um, was learning Leroy Logan, learning who yes. he was, um, uh, and and you know discovering you know his whole history because uh, mm-hmm. obviously you know you got to meet him, you got to get to know him a little bit, so that must have been just fascinating to sort of learn his motivations, his world, especially in the 1980s. He's been very mm-hmm. complimentary to you. He really feels like you, that, that must make you extra proud too, as he feels like okay. you pulled it off. Um, but yeah. take me back to first learning his story and, and sort of what were some of the things that you thought about as you sort of researched who he was, especially in those early days when he did something that, you know, not a lot of people would have done. Yeah, so it's, it's funny you say that was the key for me. Is this guy has made the decision that I that a lot of people would have made, especially during that time. Um, and I was curious as to what kind of mind is behind a man that kind of makes this choice. Um, so our first conversation was was leaning towards that, but also I related to him in in various different ways um, because you know growing up in the work that youth work and the drama club stuff that he did, you know, in, in and around South London, I was involved in those in those groups and those drama clubs too. So we could relate on various different um, situations and, and and issues, especially when we spoke about things just based on a unique experience. But, you know, it was great just meeting him and knowing his, and knowing his true um, mind and his thoughts while he was going through these crazy stuff. Like I was asking him real, you know, stuff that I can't really say on here, but real raw questions about the scenarios or what he was thinking, you know, how could possibly reacted. Um, and so it was, it was a revelation for real. Yeah, I mean, he was he's kind of like a man without a country. I mean, his community thought yeah. he was a traitor, uh, but then he d- he wasn't accepted yeah. in the force. So he's sort of an island to himself. There's no one really there to support him. Or, or I mean, that takes, I mean, that's that's superhuman to be able to pull that off and and you know, continue. And and the thing is, you showed sort of the the conflict that was inside him. He had a resolve, which was incredible to see but there's still that conflict and there's still that moment everyone's human and that moment where they do get when you're like why didn't you back me up why why weren't you there and you know there is that split second where uh you know if i were leroy i probably would have just ended it all right there just like screw it i'm I'm done with you and i'm done with this um so but but that you know that that resolve to still move forward is is something that was so unique. And, and how did you find that as an actor? What was sort of your 
motivation as you were sort of you know portraying that? Well, to be honest, I was just led led through the dialogue, led through the character, you know, led through my understanding of Leroy and and the reason why he had these kind of thought processes, and and because he felt like he felt that it was worth you know being giving up his career as a um, a scientist and 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 going into policing because it was of benefit to the community um, down the line. You know, there'll be more representation that would hopefully motivate other people to join. Um, and that thinking, you know, that community thinking is, is, is quite unique to, and it's not, it's not for everybody. A lot of people don't, you know, think in that way. Um, and to know that he thought in that way, I was, I was going deeper and deeper into that thinking and, and following that, knowing that of him while portraying him, you know, it was easy to then be like, okay, cool. Yeah. These are the choices that Leroy would make, and 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 this is why. Have you talked to him since it came out, and and has he sort of disappeared? No, no, nah, I mean, I've only I've only been managed to message him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, that must really, if if you're him, he must. I mean, it's it's to finally tell the story and to explain to people this is why I did this, and and yeah, I'm sure this has probably meant so much to him, and and everything I've read him say seems like it really meant. A lot. No, exactly. You know, but but even during now, when there there seems to be well, much more than back in the day, much more uh, black individuals sign up to be part of the force. Uh, not near enough, but you know, there's a there's a there's a lot more people you know keen to take on those jobs. You know, and yeah, I have a few friends that actually are as well, and that in itself is an interesting narrative. But to be the person at the front lines from the beginning, when it was just a fresh new idea, something that people had never really even seen. Uh, yeah, that's that's different. Yeah, yeah, especially given his relationship with his father, which is the other yeah, yeah. really amazing yeah. thing about this. Yeah, yeah, and and that relationship that you portray on screen with with Stephen Toussaint, like that chemistry between the two of you, the back and forth. Uh, there's a lot that's said. You don't even have to have dialogue at times. That ending where the two of you are just sitting there, yeah, drink, and. That, that there's some powerful stuff in there. You know, talk a little bit about that too, and, and playing this this complicated father son relationship that you know is also at the heart of this story. Mm-hmm. I think I think it was I think it was brilliant and beautiful playing that. Me and Stephen used to collaborate a lot. Me, Stephen, and Steve would talk a lot about our own fathers, our relation to our dads, the ups and downs in those kind of relationships. You know, when you know how things change when you start getting older, um, the way you see your father. You know. Um, when you see him vulnerable for the first time, we discussed so many things, and I think that that really, really helped the scenes. There was um, that we were all on the same page in in terms of how you get emotionally when those stuff are going down between you and your and your dad, um, and those disagreements, especially a lifelong disagreement. You know, we we were we were expressive about our own experiences, and so I guess in those scenes without dialogue, it's a lot of emotions channeled in because we were talking about this daily. Yeah. I bet. And, and uh, you know, all of these stories that uh, Steve McQueen told were, were so personal, um, mm. you know, and, and, and so uh, what were some of the other kind of conversations you had with, with, with him in, in terms of uh, sort of, you know, direction that he gave or, or sort of his thoughts along the way? Well, we had we had loads of loads of conversations, loads of conversations. We 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 would talk about everything really, just about the the, uh, the political climate. We talk about you know our, our views on various different things, a change, you know how change would come about, entertainment, change in entertainment. Um, these are all conversations that naturally happen on set, you know, with everyone as well. A lot of people 
do add their own two piece to, to these conversations. So we were, we were talking about a hell of a lot, especially with the scenes, you know, as they came about, the scenes would always prompt, you know, a conversation upon a conversation. Sometimes it would be stories, you know, stories from his past, his childhood, stories from my childhood that are just funny, you know, it's got nothing to do with nothing. Um, but just reminds us of memories because that's what you're going through when you when you really go into small acts in those films. You actually understand that these are like sacred memories for a lot of people who were in the UK, early 80s, you know, getting down there and having these experiences. Yeah. And you mentioned sort of like taking your personal stories. What what in particular from your personal background sort of did, did you really dig into when, when it came to this this character and this story in particular? Well, re- re- really more about what I discussed with Leroy, which was going, being at the drama clubs that a lot of these officers, whether they would be officers or um, re- since retired detectives who would come in and, and speak at these communities, like really experiencing the change that Leroy fought for is quite interesting, you know, because now I'm obviously an actor portraying him, but in real life, I was one of the kids that kind of benefited off of of that kind of, of, of change that he, he tried to kickstart, you know. I, yeah. I would go and and I felt anyway that I I had a, a cool and and solid relationship with a lot of our community leaders of, and some of which had had a, a, a history of being in the police force or being in in law enforcement in, in some type of way. So um, that that was a, a cool connection for me. Yeah. Did you uh, was that something you would ever have considered law enforcement? Was oh that- hell no, hell no, man. <laughs> Raising the sticks, man. We don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. Nah. But I think there's other ways of doing it. And that's why I was so curious. You know, me and Steve, man. Even Steve, me and Steve were like, like, <laughs> we had to, we, I was so curious to ask him what was motivating you and then understanding and, and um, representing this guy. Um, it was, it was cool to understand his perspective, but we all have uh, our different ways of, of, of doing it. And, and yeah, mining that up. Um, I did like that they managed to get like a little Star Wars reference in, in the screen. <laughs> That's deep. That is deep. Yeah. I, to this day, I don't feel like I reacted the way I should have reacted. I was supposed to be like one of these professional actors and be like, you know, don't you think that's too much? I don't know, man. I was like, you know what? Why not? I don't know. You know, I just, I saw it in there and said it. That's why in the scene, it just kind of goes over yeah. right head. Literally. I was just like, oh, well, all right. <laughs> so after I was asked about it, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's a Star Wars reference, isn't it? Yeah, the, the, the Jedi reference. I mean, it was, yeah, it was low-hanging fruit, but sometimes you got to do that, right? Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it felt cheeky, but I was like, okay, you know, I'll let you have that one. Yeah, 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 and you got to give it to the audience, right? It's like a one, it's a gimme for the audience. Like, exactly, that's what it is, man. They, they got the reference. Um mm-hmm. What um, I, I know you've talked a lot about sort of your your complicated feelings now about that franchise. Where where are you now in terms of you know sort of uh, now that there's there's a little time has passed uh, since that's all you know been out there. Um, kind of your feelings now in, in terms of that that franchise, your experience with it, and and sort of how you're now using that going forward, and what you do, what you want to do as an actor. Well, it's, it's, it's definitely helped influencing, you know, collaborations and stuff, you know, my good place, you know, just working with, you know, people like I want to work with and making sure I'm more strict with uh, the type of roles I go for. Uh, 
you know, it definitely affects a lot of things, but really the energy is on moving forward and moving on. And I think red, white and blue was a big, you know, a big, you know, incubator for that and, and a big, um, a big supporter of that. Cause that's kind of like the, the role fresh out of the, of the franchise. That's kind of like the role that kickstarts what I see as like a new kind of path for me, you know, where I actually can utilize uh, the opportunities effectively. You know? Yeah. So, so you're looking to do more dramatic, like roles, like what's, what are you kind of looking yeah, at? More dramatic. But to be honest, like, um, you know, I say that sometimes, you know, skill set is like currency, man. You know, and if you've got a variety of skill sets, you can do a variety of accents. Most likely you're going to have a variety of things that you want to pick up on. So, and at this rate, I just want to be in things I like watching. I like watching a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've got so many like, I, but yeah, dramas and, you know, I've never, I've never been on screen in a, like a romantic comedy before. I've never done that. You know, there you never, go. Yeah done a historical epic of, you know, there's so many things that, you know, I'm curious about. Yeah. It's kind of like you already, you have, you, you have the action figure. You already have the action figure. So you can kind of like, you know, yeah, you, know you get to the top and then you go, Oh, there's a little sidestep to another mountain. Yeah. And you go that way. <laughs> yeah. I totally think romantic comedy is the way to go. So yeah, man, you know, I'm just, I'm so curious, you know, so, there's so much amazing writers right now coming up and, and, and directors too that are coming into the game too. So it's just like, you know, if I get the opportunity, I do, you know, just trying to keep my, my ears to the ground. So what are you uh, watching these days? What do you like? Uh, what, what sort of uh, over the pandemic was it binged or? finished them on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, that was, yeah. I'm still processing that one. That's that that one's gotten a lot of attention for me. It's it's a hard watch. It's a hard watch. Yeah, I'm still I'm still I'm still processing that because I also um, I I came from you know in, in, in drama school and and drama class it, it was like the expression of art and storytelling was a big emphasis for us um, and so I'm trying to understand also the creative choices too. But yeah, it, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot. But I've I've just finished that last night. So what what else uh, over the the pandemic did you have time to to watch anything you went back to that maybe you missed the first time around? Oh yeah, I went I went back to City of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back to uh, the first coming to America. Ah yeah, I got got a. I watched the sequel and that made me. I had to go back to the first. Uh, made me want to go watch the the first one. Yeah, um, I hadn't seen it in a long time, and then I was watching some like some real kind of like cool black classics, like, you know, The Woods, uh, Two Can Play That Game, Boys in the Hood. I was just watching all the stuff I liked watching growing up, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, since we're talking, uh, this is for Emmys, Emmy season. Are, are there any uh, things in particular that uh, uh, maybe folks you'd love to see nominated, maybe you want to compete against, uh, you know, who, who would you like to see uh, out there in, in the race as we start to celebrate this year's uh, TV shows. I'm, I'm the worst at this because I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I still find it tricky how these things bloody freaking work. <laughs> I'm supposed to, what they say, you're supposed to do like what? At least 20 years in the game before we can talk about these things specifically, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't, whoever, I don't even know who I've, I don't even know if I've been um, up to date. Someone did mention Queen's Gambit. I need to get on top of that. Because I do like the lead going that she was really good, really, really good. Right. Yeah, I've seen other yeah. stuff too. But yeah, I've I've I have a bunch of 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 catching up to be. Probably when I see them, I'll remember. But right now I'm just like, I don't even know. 
Did you watch um, Bridgerton? I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did. It's you know. You're not going to be trying uh, season three of uh, Bridgerton. Uh, I just, you know, I just, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. I, I heard they're not bringing my guy back though. No, Reggae Jean. Well, he's he's on to big things. I mean, that the goal is like now everyone's talking about him as the next James Bond, right? That's yeah. Like watching him, he, he has a he has a great energy about him. You know, just just in terms of you know when you, there's a presence of someone on screen, like he has a good solid presence from what I caught from Bridgerton. But yeah, man, you know. I stay off the horses for now. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, congrats, man. Again, I, I think you're right. Uh, uh, Small Axe was such a great revelation for you to show, like, you know, some some serious acting chops. I mean, it was yeah. amazing to, to watch those scenes and, and to see, like, the inner tom- turmoil of, of Leroy uh, portrayed yeah. like that. And you've got to be really proud of, of how that turned out. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, and so good luck with the the, the film in, in New Orleans. Go get some good food. Get some po' boys. Uh, yeah, I heard, man. I'll I'll, I'll try. Yeah, get, when get, I'm done when I'm done with the job. Get some Cajun food. Go see some live jazz. Hopefully, it's all like back out and happening there. But yeah, have a great time down there. No, thank you, man. Much appreciated, dude. Steve McQueen's Small Axe, including the installment Red, White, and Blue, starring John Boyega, is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. After the break, Danielle Terciano introduces you to your new late-night appointment TV, Z-Way. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. The comedian and author who goes professionally by just her first name, Z-Way, went viral last summer when she hosted the Instagram live show From My Bedroom, not only hosting and interviewing guests from Alyssa Milano to Allison Roman, but also handling the show's set design, hair and makeup, costume design, and talent booking. Now, with a new platform on Showtime and a partnership with producers at A24, she finally has collaborators and plans to scale things up. Z-Way calls the series a variety show in the truest sense, featuring sketches, music videos, and field pieces, where she talks to real New Yorkers about race, in addition to interviews with such celebrity guests as Fran Lebowitz, Adam Pally, Bowen Yang, and Ebony K. Williams. Variety's Danielle Terciano recently spoke with Z-Way about the overall universe she's creating. They began by discussing what she wanted to change for the new format. I think this new process is inherently more collaborative because I'm working with the whole team at A24 and so and as well as Showtime. So suddenly I'm not producing an, an interview show from my bedroom where I'm also doing set design and HMU and costume design and talent booking. Now there's a full-fledged team to help me and work and collaborate. And so that's really been a blessing is that I'm able to scale the show up to the level in which I think it deserves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not just all interviews. Like you have some really fun sketches. You have some like, they're not like fully man on the street, but they are like you interacting with regular people. Totally. What went into to doing it that way and not just doing like a straight talk show the way that you were kind of doing on Instagram? Sure. I mean, Instagram Live is inherently going to be two people talking and then audience members commenting. Whereas with this Showtime by A24 show, it's 
the world is open up. So I have music videos as well as field pieces where I'm talking to real people who are New Yorkers about race. And that kind of feels in line with the comedy that I've been doing as a live performer in New York for, you know, the last five, six, seven years. Um, And so I was really excited to bring that humor to the forefront of my work as well. So you're really going to see like a variety show in the truest sense. Like it's, it hits all of the different beats. If you like produce interviews versus live versus field pieces versus sketches, like you're really going to see it all. And I mean, speaking to that, you know, there's obviously different levels, I think, of comedy that you can do with those different formats, but you have this really uh, important quote in in your trailer just about, you know, the, the kinds of humor, but that there are serious topics. So I'm curious, like, where you play in terms of where you want to bring in actual jokes versus where, you know, maybe there is something that's funny because the person's reaction is funny and maybe it's not, it doesn't need to be as scripted or as written. Totally. I think ultimately comedy for me is how I heal through trauma. So while there are some things you shouldn't joke about, I like to use laughter as a device to make me feel better about the world. And so when thinking about the the respective conversations and topics, it's really, you know, we really try to push the boundaries of what's acceptable on television (laughs) because that's the most fun. That's what excites me as a performer, as a writer, as a producer. So you're really going to see us get right up to the line and hopefully not cross it. And if we do, we apologize. But yeah, it's going to be really, really wild and bombastic and silly. It's funny. I don't, I mean, I don't think you have to apologize. Like if you cross the line, like that's, it's honest, it's real, you know, and you can't control what your guests are going to say. Um, and you, you know, you used to always ask your guests, like, why do you come on the show? Is that, is that a conversation that you felt like you had to have before you even invited them onto the Showtime show to make sure that they were coming on for the right reasons? No, not at all. I, I started asking my guests on the Instagram live show why they did the show because I would get that all the time in the press. Whereas in this respective show, the, people have seen enough of my work on YouTube as well as in Instagram live. So they have an, a general idea of what they're getting into. And it's also not a live immediacy of, you know, 10,000 people commenting how many uh, Black friends they have. So it's it's a little bit, it's a little different, but I, I what's really exciting is that all of my respective guests, like Fran Leibowitz and Phoebe Bridgers, and yeah, and Bo and Yang and Patty Harrison, they're all really quite brave and funny. And you're going to see the sort of vulnerability that is, it cannot be imitated on any other interview show. So it's really like Fran Lipowitz for the first time in some ways. Mm. You know, it's interesting that you put it that way because, you know, you obviously are asking them questions I'm sure they're not expecting, but some of them come in with a level of performance themselves. What did it take for you to kind of knock those walls down so that they were not performing in the interview? I think ultimately it's just about active listening for me as an interviewer, whatever the response is. If I'm talking to Bo and Yang about his experiences, you know, just t- taking that in and then follow- asking follow-up questions because uh-huh. you it's a real conversation in real time. So we are creating this art together, um, together in the same space and it's live. And I'm surprised as often as they're surprised. So it's really about staying in the moment and like letting the comedy prevail by the awkwardness intention of each respective answer. Mm-hmm. And are there things, I mean, are there certain people who came on and said like, I don't want to delve into certain topics. Like I don't want to be asked how many black friends I have. I don't want to be asked to name Asian people. Like what are the rules that they were allowed to, or parameters that they were allowed to set, if any? No, honestly, everyone was game to play because they, 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 I believe that my guests kind of respect the idea that 
that it's it's not about trapping anybody or getting them canceled. It's about having really productive conversations that are ultimately funny and healing. Um, so everyone was really down to clown. And it honestly, you're going to see that fun, that like fun and humor in real time. It's really, really special. You have some really fun sketches as well. And I know, I mean, I know that like the audience has only seen little clips of them so far based on the trailer, but like there's, you know, the American girl sketch where I, I imagine you're going to do some animation with dolls and it's going to be a little bit more than just the actors. What goes into like, how do you, how do you find that creativity? Like, how do you tap into that's a sketch versus like, I have something I want to say about that, but that's a sketch. Oh, I think it's just, how do you visualize Mm. Um, because I, again, when I'm interviewing my respective guests, I can't control what their answers are. I'm just getting it in real time and I'm surprised, but with, um, a respective sketch like American Girl Dolls with uh, Jane Krakowski and Kristen Malati, we are able to craft an idea and really hone in on the satire of what we're trying to criticize. And so that's just about like that. That's an idea that came to me a couple of years ago. And then I you know, gave one, one sentence idea to Cola Scola and they took it away and ran with oh, wow. it. So it's really about collaboration and what is feels like more of a visual joke than more of like an interview question and finding the balance between the two. Like stop being poor, for example, that's a music yeah. video. Patty Harrison. And so that just kind of came from the idea, which was like last during the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of Americans were losing their jobs and they mm-hmm. had no way of you know paying for their homes and they were they were getting evicted. And it and the response in you know public discourse was like, hey, figure it out. Sorry, good luck. Uh the stimulus check will come when it comes. Right. And that's I I reacted to that like I was really heartbroken by that. Um I just don't understand how you can kind of treat citizens like that. And so that's that's the really silly song where we're dancing in like ten matching tennis suits with fake diamonds and we're rapping about stop being poor but it's about like the serious satire of like the last year in American politics so ultimately it's like what are we trying to say and how are we trying to say it in a way that's palatable and enjoyable and lighthearted? because again it's always a comedy show first and I mean what is the process like in terms of when these things get formulated is it you know oh I did all the interviews first and then realized I had all these other things I wanted to say that I didn't get to in the interviews or are you working concurrently how are you balancing, I guess, you know, the different um, topics that you're putting into each episode? Sure. So I, we start a right. We started the writers room before the interviews or guests were even locked. We had ideas of who we wanted, but we kind of figured that out with the pandemic. Who's even in New York? Who's who's willing to get on a set and be surrounded by 70 good people? Point. Yeah. Um, but as far as the topics of each respective interviews, which is wealth and allyship and 55 percent of white women and whitewashing we kind of came up with those topics first and then we 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 developed the sketches and the music videos and the questions for the respective guests after the fact and so it was really about like how do we refine what we're trying to say through a lens so it's clear and consistent and doesn't feel so sporadic yeah and I mean, you mentioned early in, in our conversation like the partnership not just with your writers but with at24 and with showtime and so because you have that, you have a different platform than you've had before. But I imagine you also have different people to answer to in a way that you didn't have to before. So were there things that you felt like you actually had to scale back on or just maybe ask the questions in different ways because you knew, you know, hey, there's a corporation attached to this? 
Totally. Honestly, again, it goes back to the idea that we're never trying to cancel anybody or ruin their lives. So I, it's it's been a pleasure working with age 24 and Showtime who have been nothing but supportive of my visions of my visions and have encouraged me to actually go further where I'm like, well, actually I'm not that radical. Um, So (laughs) it's been really exciting to see the ebbs and flow of the collaborative process with these two really um, prominent companies, but I've had a pleasure, honestly. Wait, I, I do want to, I have to pick up on that. Like what, where are you not radical enough for them? What were <laughs> those areas? <laughs> a lot of, a lot of sketches that, you know, might see the light of day season two. We'll okay. <laughs> always, always over time. It's I, for me, it's about, I like to, I, to me, this is about a journey, right? And so it's like, you've got to walk before you run. And so every single episode feels like it's building upon itself in a language. So our, our last episode, I believe is whitewashing where our first episode is 55% of white women. And so Fran Leibowitz and Adam Pally. And so and there are little Easter eggs throughout each respective interview and each respective episode because they're all connected and we're slowly building this like cinematic universe. It's the Z-Way cinematic universe that we're constructing together. So it's like, there are more jokes to come always, um, but we're working through it every single day. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it is is still very early, obviously, in the show's journey. Um, What do you feel like the landscape of variety sketch slash late night lacked that your show is now adding? What did it like? You know what the real, I believe we're in a renaissance of comedy, honestly, with Amber Ruffin and Jesus mm. Romero and Sam Jay. Um, and I think you should believe there's so many, some, and Eric Andre's bad trip. That was a phenomenal um, film. So I think there's a lot of really good comedy out there. So I'm really honored to join the, the greats in our contribution to like the comedic discourse. And uh, as far as what I think my show adds, I think it is a fundamental deconstruction of what a typical quote unquote late night interview is. Where formerly it was like, okay, I'm doing this movie about, I'm doing this movie about grass. And here are my grass anecdotes. You're really never going to get those plug and play answers. Yeah my show everything during my friend Leibowitz interview for example there were several times where she said quote I've never been asked this before and this is a woman who's been in the public sphere for 40 or 50 years and so to hear friend Leibowitz who's talked to Toni Morrison and David Letterman and so many other Jimmy Fallon so many other brilliant comedians and authors and writers I'm an artist and say hey I've never been asked that before I that's where I'm really proud of what our show is doing because again I want to bring a fresh new take but uh, shout out to everyone who's currently making comedy I think there's a lot of really good comedy if you're a comedy lover out there. But I I do, I really like the way you said, like, it's not going to be a plug and play, right? Because like, you don't have to have somebody on who's just promoting a movie or a TV show. Like if you're having conversations that are topical about race or about class or about like the pandemic, literally that's everybody that affects everybody, which totally feels like it makes it harder though, to choose who you have on in a way. I mean, I don't know. I mean, did you, did you have a certain guideline or like a a wish list or how how did you even choose, I guess, who to collaborate with? Sure. I mean, yes and no, because what you'll see on the show, like there's this one um, field piece that we do, it's called Woke Wars, where I interview 
New Yorkers about whether or not they're woke. And these are regular people who are not performers in any way. And their answers are just as funny, if not funnier than the seasoned performers. So I think that everyone has an interesting perspective that they bring to conversations about race that are funny. So, so I can, I can, I could talk to a tree stump and it would be interesting. With that being (laughs) said, with each, because each episode was themed around wealth or around whitewashing, around allyship, there are certain guests that are 55% of white women. There are certain guests that you you immediately think of because they'd be great oh. for this theme, who really highlight the theme in a really powerful way. Hearing what Fran Leibowitz thinks about electoral politics is really oh. compelling. Um, so yes and no, it's really a, a give and take. But to speak to the topicality of the show, there is this really famous late night host called Dick Cabot, yeah. and he used to have he used to interview J- um, James Baldwin. And I actually returned to those interviews every month. And while they were shot, you know, 30 years ago, I find them to be more topical now than what they were um, in their, in the days of yore. So I'm really hoping that the interviews that I have sort of, they, they last for years to come because these are still pertinent issues, whether it's the nineties, the eighties, the seventies or 2024 or 2030. So, yeah. And I have to say, I mean, the idea of you asking New Yorkers, those questions. I want to see you come out and ask LA people those questions. I know. I know. You would get would be very different and very funny in different ways. Totally. Exactly. It's, it's like, and when we we're writing, we're constructing these ideas. We're not going into it being like, okay, this is the joke. We right. are finding that in person in the, in the practicality of shooting. And then again, in the edit. So I would love the fluidity of like a woke wars, Tampa Bay, a woke wars, Alberta, Canada. Right. right. You know, I think it's because every single locale, whether you're from the North, the East or abroad has a different interpretation of race. And I think that that's what keeps the show fresh and new and also infinite. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're speaking to like kind of an evergreenness to it too, when you're saying that you want these, these interviews to last. So how did you approach things that are a little bit more specific, like the pandemic or like, you know, the George Floyd, um, first the murder, but then we just had Derek Chauvin's trial. Like were those topics that you wanted to touch at all? Yeah, I think, I mean, in the specificity, there is evergreenness. So for example, the pandemic, that the stop being poor, that's that's re- that's Reaganomics. <laughs> that goes back to 1980, yeah. but it's still pertinent in this day and age because, you know, the more things change, the more things stay the same. So I think the key with re- different topics is hitting at what exactly is going on and how does this apply to the greater American public? And when you start to pull those through lines, you realize that it's not just about this moment in time. It's about th- this this um, schema in society, this mm-hmm. like reoccurring theme that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you are very busy, obviously, like with this show, you're talking about all these really important topics, but then you're also writing a book or maybe have finished it by now. I'm not sure. Um, I submitted my first draft actually on Saturday. Oh, congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. But like, to me, the balancing of these two things, especially if you have all of these ideas floating in your head, is there a need to like compartmentalize and say, I'm saving this idea for the show. I'm saving this idea for the book. How do you approach those various pieces of what you do? Totally. I think it's, again, it's about medium, right? There are things that you would post on Twitter that you wouldn't post on TikTok. So there, for me, it's there, there no, I'm a little all over TikTok, but thank you. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, how do those kids edit? <laughs> really, truly. 
Um, but so similar. So basically, TikToks are books are the TikToks of um, print, and so basically, <laughs> it's like there are things that you can write and really verbalize that you you might want to visualize on your show. And these themes are so connected. I'm talking about race in my book as well, and I talk about my experiences in the pandemic and my, my interpretations of like the racial uprisings of last year. But you're going to see that written versus you're seeing a sketch or you're seeing me ask a respective guest about it. So it's really about the different mediums and kind of conforming to them because it's like people ingest in different ways. Mm-hmm. If it's a song, it's, you know, it has to rhyme. It's in these couplets. It's a, a catchy beat. But obviously you don't need a catchy beat if you're doing a sketch with Jane Kukowski. So it depends on the medium. Okay. It's funny that you phrased it that way. Because like, you could. She sings. You could make she, it. And she's very, she, she's a really brilliant actress um we work together on dickinson as well and i'm always kind of like dumbfounded seeing her work in person because wow like she really is like she's so brilliant she's so sharp so it's it's a really fun um entrance i think for you into into late night with with this episode that you've been you've kind of been teasing already in terms of the sketches and the interviews do you feel like you're going to be changed in any way when the show premieres. Do you feel like, you know, this platform that Showtime is giving you being different from what you've already had is going to make you think about things differently or react differently on social? How do you feel like you're going to be different after this experience? I don't know how I will be different, but that's the thing about changing is that it's sort of gradual. Um, But I'm open every day. I am open to learning and becoming a better person. And I recognize that there's so much I don't even know that I don't know. So my hope is that at the end of this journey, whenever it is finished, that I come out of it um, a wiser person, able to go forth in my respective communities and really help and not hurt. And, and do you feel like this is a open door situation in the sense of like people see that you have done this and now maybe there are people who can come up behind you and also reach this new audience as well? Definitely. I mean, that's as, so I show run my show. And so yeah. that's one of the goals is to hire a lot of first time writers and first time producers um, and give them the opportunities that, you know, it would have taken them more, a couple more years to break through. And so that's my hope, like on the like literal level of employing people, as well as on like a public level of like people seeing my work and saying, Hey, how, how can I interpret this? I know that when I watch like, Colbert Report and when I watch Oprah Winfrey and when I see Eric Andre and each of these different artists are pushing boundaries in their lane in such unique ways that all influence my work. Oprah as an interviewer, Colbert Report as this satirist and then Eric Andre as this like sort of visceral in your face, like like really, really spontaneous performer. Um, with Jesus Merrill in the same category, that that m- makes me the comedian that I am today. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that people watch my comedy and are influenced to make their own special mm-hmm. comedy because that's my goal is to inspire people to self-actualize. And I guess maybe the way I phrased it was also unfair because like, it's not to say that, you know, having a platform on YouTube or Instagram, being an influencer and a comedian in those spaces is not as good. I am curious too, if you feel like, there is a difference if there is a sense of, you know, some influencers, that's where they want to stay. You know, maybe maybe mainstream or premium cable, which has a limited audience, isn't for everyone. How do you approach, I guess, the advice you give to people who are in those different spaces? 
I think, I mean, there's a lot of freedom that comes with being an influencer, right? Which is that, so sure you, you, you answer to your sponsors, but you're also on the schedule that you create, you shoot when you want, you shoot, you shoot a lot of the times in your house. Um, when I was doing my Instagram live show, it's like, oh, if I don't, you know, if I don't want to do it, I just don't have to do it because <laughs> I'm accountable to myself and my yeah. audience. Um, whereas with, um, a network behind you, there are, there's suddenly more, there's suddenly more people you have to converse with to get this product made and where I could shoot an interview and it would be, it's live, like literally live. Right. This is a process that we, we shot, we shot for 15 days in February and it's airing now in May, which is a quick turnover, but still that's some time in between. So so to answer your, what's so your question is, oh, the, I mean, the advice that you give to, to different influencers, uh, yeah. you know, live your lives, do your thing. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, I think the best advice I could give to influencers is being, um, authentic, which sounds like really bad, dumb advice, but I think there's there, especially on the internet, there is an inclination to sort of follow the trends. How do you get viral? This is the way that someone went viral. I'll do that. And it's like, if you're always chasing a respective trend, um, you're never at the forefront. You're never leading. And in, in some ways your work is derivative. So to avoid those qualms, it's to know who you are and create what is true to you. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I don't think that that is that, that you used a word a second ago that made it sound like you were, you didn't want to use the word authentic, but I feel like we have to use the word authentic because there's so much of, especially social media where people yeah. are putting on a persona and then everyone's totally. trying to follow it. Like you feel bad about yourself because you can't follow it, but it's not real. And so I and think all of us are sad for no reason. Right? Like, <laughs> you don't have to live like this. <laughs> and the people who rise tend to be the people like you who have a voice and it's a real voice and you know, you're using it for good, but it's also, there's an authenticity to it. So that's why it's, no one can copy it. Right. Like, thank you. No one could do, I think the show that you're doing, like there are other variety shows in the space for obviously, mm-hmm. but you can't copy each other or they can't live together in the space. Totally. Thank you. Yeah. I think my proudest moment is when people watch my interviews from 2016 mm. for the first time in 2021 and say, Oh, this is so funny. Why am I so late to this? Like this is mm. so unique. Um, and when people ask me like, oh, how did you come up with the idea last summer? It's like, well, I've been doing this for years. And that's where I feel the most proud of my work is that I've, I've stayed consistent with this art when it, no one cared. <laughs> um, and it's finally paid off. Z-Way premieres Sunday, May 9 at 11 p.m. on Showtime. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. And also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Danielle Terciano and Jazz Tanke, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.